Welcome to Film Shots. This is uh, Jesse Rhymes and Joel Marshall. Joel Marshall, and um, we are here, Film Shots today, with Ms. Kathy Busby. And Kathy Busby is here. She's been gracious enough to allow us to actually tape this at her home, which is rocking, I'm telling this you. This place you know? is yeah. something else. I mean, I got a nosebleed because it's so high up in the mountains. You're but very you know, kind. It's very, very nice. Very nice. I wouldn't wouldn't leave this place, I think, if I could. Yeah. Maybe I will. Well, we'll stay here tonight. How's that sound? <laughs> Why not? The boyfriend's out of town. <laughs> All right. That's what I like. We'll have a party. So, um, Kathy... Um, has done something that very, very few people on this planet have done. She has gotten her short film accepted at Sundance. Yeah! Congratulations. Sundance. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Now, when is that going to be this year? Sundance is from the 19th of January until the 29th of January. And what is Sundance? The funny thing about Sundance mm -hmm. is, as an executive, I've been going to Sundance for the last six years. Now, executive, what kind of executive? Well, I used to be a television executive okay. at Carsey Warner. Right mm -hmm. now, I'm a film executive at New Line. Um, I'd certainly known what Sundance was. I'd heard of it. I've known for years, years, Sundance, the best festival in the world. Only recently did it occur to me that Robert Redford named it after the Sundance Kid. It <laughs> never oh, occurred man, to me. Neither. Right? That's, That's what it's from. One of those things that... Did you, did you wow. figure that out? I did, I did. That I was no one idea. of the things. But there are many other things where I suddenly go, oh, like today I was playing tennis and, and somebody said, I think that was just match point. And I was like, it was? Match point? I didn't even know what match point meant, even though I've been playing tennis most oh, wow. of my life. <laughs> it's wow. kind of silly. Woody uh, Allen's anyway. new movie is called Match Point. Yes, it? It, yes is. it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. Right. Yeah, that tennis thing is really something else. But anyway, Sundance. I actually thought that Sundance was a Native American thing because he's I think very that's much into what that. throws you is that you think, yeah. oh, yeah. it's, it's out it there his politics. in the, the mountains. It must be some Native Sundance American. Sundance kid. Yeah, that's fascinating. So now you know that, and now you're going to be there with Robert Redford and all of these other very, very fabulous people showing your film, which is called... It's called Max and Josh. All right. Let me tell you, this film... Is really, really good. I just watched it and then it's something else. Seven minutes long, right? Yes. And this is the kind of stuff that we're talking about when we say Josh gave a uh, film bite once saying to um, um, keep things cut down on your locations. Right. This has one location. One. That's it. Two people. You know, I, I mean, two and a half. Two and a, oh, two and a half people. Yeah, That's right. Two and a half. Short change. Oh, you need to know. Right. <laughs> so it is absolutely and that uh, location a wonderful thing. is the interior of a car. Yeah. Yes. And I should probably explain how I got there. The first <clears throat> film that I made, um, short film, twelve minutes, involved many sets that had to be painted, that had to be loaded. It was a period piece from the seventies. I had fur coats made, it had children, a dog, it had special effects, crew of 25, and I just swore, like, the next one has got to be no sets, no lighting, no mm -hmm. crew, no makeup, no script. I mean, it was practically improvised, and it was really sort of a backlash against all of the work I had done before, and so, of course, the simple, cheap one that takes no time to shoot gets into Sundance. There it is. Man, that's Sundance. great. Yeah, so the thing is... <clears throat> 
Don't think that you have to do anything fancy. It's really mostly concept. You were lucky. You got actors who are absolutely wonderful for it. Thank you. Um, one of them is... Um, Hill Harper. And he is now on... He's on um, CSI New York. <coughs> Hill is sort of one of the top young black actors in the business. Very talented, very funny, uh, very charismatic. An ex-lawyer, by the way, or certainly he went to Harvard Law School. I don't know if he actually graduated, mm -hmm. um, but he's very, very talented. And then the other guy was Wayne Fetterman, who is, in my opinion, the funniest man in Hollywood. He's a stand-up comedian. They were both very good in this film. Thank you. Yeah, they're good. And that's what—that's one of the things that makes it really great. Is is you just feel you're watching these two guys, and and I just feel like they're two guys that are friends. You know, well, I get actually, the you introduced them and 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 told me that. This is actually how they get along anyway. Yeah. That's true. I mean, I'm very close to both of them. And uh -huh. then I introduced them. And from the day they met, they always have these insane arguments. They always go off on these tangents. And they really like each other. So they always make each other laugh. Did you um, write the dialogue for this? No. Or did... And I noticed that there are jump cuts in it. Yes. Uh, meaning that sometimes when you're shooting something, or when you're editing something, you make a cut that is uh, out of time, I yes. guess. It just jumps in time, and I yeah. think that's what a jump cut is. And that's a choice that I notice filmmakers are making a lot lately, also in television. It's become um, much more common than it used to be. And Works. can you tell me something about that? Well, what we had done is we, we outlined things that they could argue about. Mm -hmm. We had a list of topics. And we certainly had planned the ending, which I don't want to talk about in case anyone sees right, it. So right. we had, we, the, the ending was actually scripted and written. Um, but a lot of stuff was unplanned. And so one of the best parts of the movies was not in the outline. Mm -hmm. And we had hours of conversations between the two of them where they were just so funny and they would just go off in these tangents. And we thought the only way to make it work was just to jump cut because they didn't change positions. I mean, mm -hmm. we, the, the car changed position. We, we, we hired a limo and a driver and we drove all over LA while shooting. Mm -hmm. So it was, it just seemed very easy to use jump cuts. Yeah. I thought it was very effective. What was it difficult to shoot in a car? Yes and no. How many other people did you have in there? Well, that was the funny part. I mean, even it was a small limo. It was uh, in the front seat, a driver and a sound guy. In the back seat, facing the actors, were two cameramen with cameras. And there was me. I was on the floor directing. Oh, wow. And then the two actors were sitting down. And so we were this, you know, posse that was just driving all over L.A. And, and the, one of the funny things is that my, my leg would get in the shot quite a bit. And I don't know if it made it to the movie, but a lot of footage is like, there's my leg, there's my leg. <laughs> that's, that's something that usually happens with the boom. Yeah, yeah. my leg was mm -hmm. the boom. Well, there was no boom. So the boom is a mic that goes above the actors that's usually out of frame, hopefully. Yeah. Sometimes you'll be watching a feature film and there will be a boom in the shot because yeah. probably the, the shot was just so good they decided to leave it in. Um, with her, it's a, a foot. <laughs> I thought. A boom and, foot. <laughs> what did you shoot it on? We shot it on just uh, a mini DV. Mm -hmm. We used two Sony cameras. Because it looks great. Thank it looks you. Looks really good. Thank I think you. one of the things about digital cameras is they work really well in with natural lighting. Yeah. I don't know if you had any kind of spe we specialized had lighting. We had only or... natural lighting, and that was one of the 
complications of shooting in a car, sometimes we get a great conversation and the driver would drive through a tunnel. Oh. <laughs> well, yeah. that that take wouldn't work or just yeah. sometimes it'd be too much sun and yeah so you you actually didn't use any artificial lighting all no. the lighting was no, it was okay. all natural and it looks really good now did as far as the sound goes did the did the actors have mics yeah. on them the actors did have mics on them okay like a lavalier mic i yeah. guess a lavalier mic is a mic that is uh, on the actor, and they have a little pack. Usually you see them on TV shows and things like that. Hopefully you don't see them in the movie. Yeah. Um, and did you have any sound problems at all? You know, we we had it we had it mixed. Mm -hmm. And a big part of it, a big part of the problem was not the actors speaking, but keeping the car sound consistent because we were uh, on freeways and mm -hmm. we were in this neighborhood, which is very quiet, and we were, we were all over town. Mm -hmm. So we really had to go into the studio after and, and make sure that, uh, that the sound was consistent. Mm -hmm. Well, um, one of the things that <clears throat> I'd like to say is uh, um, my uh, film bike for the day has been stolen. It was about jump cuts. So um, my film bite is don't be afraid to jump cut and right. um, do things that are kind of out of sequence to make the film creative. That's... That's my great. Film so we got a little early <clears throat> film bite. That's good. A good one. That's a good film bite. That bite. is a good one. Now, you're an executive at New Line. Yes. Right. Um, how does that help you as a filmmaker? Does that help you make a movie, or well, or does it hinder you from making a movie? What is that? that I've like? only been an executive in the film business since September, so mm -hmm. I don't know what that is. That's like four months. Yeah. It's not that long. So, but I, I had been a television executive doing the same creative process, but for TV shows for nine years, and and that was at Carsey Warner. at Carsey Werner and also at Universal Television. Okay. And what I found, and this is just for me personally, and I was just talking uh, to a friend about this, is that I'm very open to collaboration mm -hmm. because it's my job to look at material and say, can you try this? Or it's my job to look at an edit and say, can you try this? And sometimes writers and directors and producers are very open to that dialogue and sometimes they're not. And... It just helped me to realize that other points of view could be incredibly valuable, even if I didn't want to hear them. Wow. Hmm. And so I think it made, I, I, I know it made this a better film because there were a lot of opinions that I really cherished, or, or not, not a lot, maybe four or five people who were in edit sessions, and there were a lot of different edits for the film, and um, I just know that I got a stronger movie out of it. Now... On the flip side, I also know that having made two films, I think, makes me a much better executive because I know how hard it is. Mm -hmm. I know how hard it is to have something and someone say, well, that doesn't really work. Mm -hmm. I know what it's like to look at somebody who, who wants to tell me that it doesn't work and, and, and how painful it is for me yeah. to hear that and to say, all right, now what? Mm -hmm. You know, and so I, I think it's helped on both sides very much. So your job is actually face to face working with creative people, writers, directors, producers, actually to get their work onto the screen. Now is is that it? Well, yes. I mean, in 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 broad strokes, yes. I think my 
my first job is to find material, is, is either to listen to a pitch or find a script. Is that called development? That is development. Okay. And develop that script. And so it's about getting the script ready enough in good enough shape that we can send it to a director or an actor or our green light committee and say, we think that there's a good movie here. Mm-hmm. Now, Where do those scripts come from? They come from everywhere. They come from agents. They come from producers who we have deals with. They come from friends of friends. You um, wouldn't accept one from a guy named Joel Marshall who nobody knows. And I, of course, have like one. <laughs> In general, we try not to accept scripts that aren't represented by mm-hmm. agents or right. lawyers. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's always lawsuits. I mm-hmm. just heard about a woman who claimed to have written... Uh, the the Matrix and Lord of the Rings, or not in Lord of the Rings, the Matrix and Terminator, and she's suing. Wow, she's claiming both. She's claiming not that, just the Matrix, yes, but also Terminator. Exactly, she's going for it. And part of that problem is, let's just say that she had an idea that was very similar to the Matrix. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that mm-hmm. she did, and let's say that she sent it to a studio. Yeah. If there's similarities, she can now have a claim. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if it's represented, if it's solicited then there's sort of the legally you've said I'm giving you this to you but I know that you might have something and I'm not going to sue you. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you have legal <clears throat> representation or an agent says I'm not going to sue you. Which I guess there's like, yeah I mean I guess there's the that almost. understanding you yeah. know in my old company if somebody called me who wasn't represented I'd have that they'd have to sign a form before I would read it. Mm-hmm. It almost mm-hmm. seems to me if somebody goes into a lawsuit like this, they're deciding they're probably going to quit the entertainment industry because now the when they go to other people with a, with an idea and they have this past record of having sued, uh, who's going to want to hear it or who's going to want to take a meeting? It's pretty scary. Well, I'll tell you, I think that in this industry it's about the money. And even if you have done that, if it's a good script and um, um, it looks like it'll make money, somebody out there will, will do it. This yeah. is a very decentralized industry now. There are a lot of different houses out, out there, and they are in pretty heavy competition. Um, you have the majors, but you still have a number of independents, and there's a financial crisis in the industry now. I think Jesse's right. I think ultimately it is about the material. I think so, too. And if there's a good script out there, everybody wants it. Right. Yeah. People, are, people are probably not just going to try and rip it off. They'll probably just want that script. Yeah, mm-hmm. and also, you know, it's... It's pretty easy to buy scripts. I mean, in the scope of things, you know, I, again, I, I feel like I'm not an expert on the film business because I'm very new to it, but mm-hmm. it, it, it seems to me that from the majors, every movie is a $30 million movie. And why is that? Because you spend $25 million to market it. Absolutely, doesn't matter how much right. it costs yeah. to make. Right. It costs to make. Now, what that says is you can buy anything for $100,000 mm-hmm. because it's just $100,000 in the scope of mm-hmm. $30 million. Right. right. Absolutely. I think that is the case. I mean, the majors have to keep pumping out movies. They've got to keep stuff going to screens because the theater owners out there are always looking for films. And they have 10, 15 screens in one theater. They've got to keep something up there. Um, This is, in fact, what happened in the 80s, why people like Spike Lee and them got on the scene was because theaters weren't getting enough films at the time. Majors were focused on blockbusters. Makes sense. Right. And so the actual... Um, theaters organized and started making their own films at that time. I didn't know that. Yeah. But that makes wow. sense. Can you tell me something? People are confused, I think, a lot of times about how a pitch 
happens. What, mm-hmm. what do you do in a pitch? Do you uh, have your script already made? Can you just go in and pitch an idea? Uh, should you make some kind of a video presentation? What what are pitches like? Well, I think there's there's different levels of intricacies in pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the best pitches that I heard in the last few months, the guy had an outline for quite a few scenes within quite a few acts. Mm-hmm. And so you sit in a room and you kind of start with the the theme of the movie, and mm-hmm. then you're like, and this is our open, and this is what happens in the first act, and this is what happens in the second act, and this is what happens in the third act. Now, there's other movies, I guarantee you 40-Year-Old Virgin was not a big, complicated pitch because it sells itself in the title. Mm-hmm. So there's that. <clears throat> other people do come in with visuals. Um, visuals meaning video, or visuals meaning... It can be anything. It can be, it can be uh, drawings. It can be a two-minute video. One of the pitches I, I bought this, this year, last year, was um, the log line would be School of Rock in the World of Hip-Hop Dance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in part of pitching it to, to me, and the writer actually pitched a very detailed outline, but he started by showing us a video he had compiled of children under 10 hip-hop dancing. Really? Mm. Just to give the flavor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very hard to sell pitches. Um, it, it's hard for me to buy pitches. So to me, it's got to be an A-level writer. Otherwise, why wouldn't he write it? Why, you know, why wouldn't, you know, because so many things are in the execution. So if you told me I'm going to pitch you an idea about a pimp that wants to be a rapper, I'd say, okay, I'm, I'm not buying that because I don't know if it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. And even then, I think once the, the script for Hustle and Flow was written, people were still afraid of it. So it was, it, it was how it was executed on the page and, more importantly, how it was executed in the film. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's, is that a New Line film? No. No. No, it's not. Ah. I, I do think New Line tried to uh, buy it. it was, New Line was one of the bidders. Uh-huh. But they did not get it. Now, New Line is probably one of the longest-lasting independent film companies that exists at this time. Uh, what do you think their secret is that makes them, them their longevity so so long, I guess? I think it is a willingness to do different kinds of films. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's sort of like, or it's, it seems to me, it's kind of like a small major mm-hmm. or a big indie. <clears throat> it's sort of that middle ground. And if you look at some of their most successful films in the last few years. I mean, they're, they're very different. You have Lord of the Rings, you have Wedding Crashers, mm-hmm. you have A History of Violence, you have Monster-in-Law. Um, they're really different. And mm-hmm. I think they've, you know, and also the executives are, are all very talented They people. seem to be able to take risks, too. I mean, you look at something like American mm-hmm. History X, and you mm-hmm. say, wow, I bet that yeah. was, you know, hard to get past, you know, to get made. I would well, think they're, they'd be very, they're very, they're um, very... They're just really cool people. Yeah, they seem like they... Now, what is Fine Line? As a... Fine Line doesn't exist anymore. Oh, it right. doesn't exist. Fine Line used to be the, the sort of lower budget, more artistic mm-hmm. branch of New Line. Um, however, there's a new venture called Picture House, which is a co-venture between New Line and HBO. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what Fine Line seems to have morphed into. Okay. So th- that's going to be for a theatrical release as well? Yeah. Okay. And is that... Now, what is its association with Warner Brothers? Well, Warner Brothers, nothing. Time Warner. Yeah, Time Time Warner. Warner. 
Okay. So Time Owned Warner... by Time Warner and still an independent. I don't understand it, but that's the way it is. Okay. Hmm. Wait a minute, wait a minute. New Line is owned by Time Warner. Yes. What's it owned by someone else first? Turner. Who's... Turner. Right. Turner. Yeah. That's what I remember. It's so how to... long has it been with Time Warner? <clears throat> oh, if only I knew the New Line history. Hmm. I cannot okay. tell you. I'm very bad that way. The whole corporate thing. I. Do you I... know the film that um, um, really got them their start? Yes. Ninja Turtles. No, it's before that. But isn't that how he made all his money? Well, he had to make some money before that. You used to work at New Line, didn't you? Yes, I did. In the spirit of enclosure. Here we go. Well, that's a little cheating. Yes. Oh, okay. I don't okay. know about okay. Yes, Mr. Okay. Innocent, what was the movie? No, this is from my Let's research. <laughs> Off the top of my head. Hey, well, maybe we should ask the public. I think we'll ask the public. Yeah, we'll ask the public. And what no was that little film? IMDb or, or talk something. Talk to people that the there. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Email us at filmshots at gmail.com with the right. answer to that question. It was back in the days of um, college film societies, before VCRs. All right, that's no, enough. Hints. Now you're predating me. Okay, so now we mentioned you in an earlier podcast, and we were wondering how you got your film into Sundance. So let's say there's somebody out there, they made a film, and they want to get it into Sundance. What should they do? This is a tough one, because my first film did not get into Sundance. Mm -hmm. you, you did enter it, though. I totally entered it. And, and you I won was... some awards. I won an award at one festival for Best Children's Short, and it screened at over 15 other festivals, so some people did like my first film. I liked it. Thank you. Um, and, I, I mean, I, this is such a... I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that as an executive within the industry, I was told you have to have somebody recommend you. Now, that's not fair to the millions of people that have no connections mm -hmm. you're saying somebody in the film industry or somebody at Sundance somebody or? who knows somebody mm -hmm. and so with my first film I called everyone I knew and I do believe that people made calls on my behalf and mm -hmm. I'm, I mean I guess the truth of the matter is it didn't work I, you know mm -hmm. they and, and in hindsight I don't think that was really a Sundancey kind of movie what was that movie called it was called my purple fur coat and, and was it, that more of a children's movie it was definitely a children's movie do you think that would hinder it from getting yes. into a film festival? Yes. Um, I don't know. I know that they watch everything. Mm -hmm. I do think it helps if you're recommended, but I know that they watch everything. Mm -hmm. And I think what really helped and what inspired me is I met some filmmakers that had had two different shorts at Sundance before they had a feature. And I just said, how did you do that? Mm -hmm. Two. Two. And what they, they said... They didn't. They, they didn't say they didn't. They, they they had an answer, but they showed me the films. And the first film cost eight dollars. Really? The first film cost the. $8. It was the cost of the film because they used their father's camera. They shot it in their father's house, and yeah. one guy shot and the other guy acted. And I think the simplicity. I think simplicity is actually the key, certainly for me, mm -hmm. in getting in. Um, I don't know. I, I wish I could say there was a science beyond that. But do you think that um, <clears throat> that Sundance is is really I don't I don't want to be crass with with this, but thinking about can you control a budget? Let's say that thinking about what does this filmmaker have the ability to do, and maybe that's why they they are attracted to films that are are little with little budget films, small cast. No, no. 
I, I don't think that you can generalize anything. In fact, another friend of mine told me a funny story. He had a movie at Sundance last year, and it was a very expensive short film. And it was paid for by one of the actors that was in it, and it was a lot of money. And he said that he actually found in the Q&As that there was resentment because he had spent so much like money on it. Like he cheated. Like it wasn't mm. really independent. Right. <clears throat> independent is if, if you pay for it yourself, it doesn't matter how yeah. much. And he actually came up with a funny line. They kept saying, how much did it cost? That was always a question. Mm -hmm. And he said, more than a Volvo, less than Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> well, you notice, you notice also um, feature filmmakers, even at the highest level, they're very reluctant to tell you how much they paid for yeah. the film. And uh, it's not something that people... Yeah, I think the higher the budget, the more people gripe. And I think that that happens with everything from King Kong all the way you know, down to Well, one the thing, you know, film. like independent means that you're usually, I, I think, that you are not attached to one of the eight major studios, if there are still eight of them. And those are Columbia, Warner... Universal. Universal. Paramount. Paramount. Um, used to be RKO. Um, MGM. M MGM. It used to be eight of, eight of them. And those were the mood, the studios. Everything else was considered to be independent. But even, I'm confused, even studio movies premiere at Sundance and get into Sundance. Absolutely. Yeah. We they, were at, talking to Josh <coughs> Welsh over at Film Independent the other day. We asked him what constitutes an independent film. And he said one of the things is that it's under $20 million for them. Uh, and also that it is the filmmaker's vision, which I think right. is really kind of vague. Come I mean, on, Peter King Jackson's Kong vision. King is Peter Jackson's I know, vision. I know. There's so a certain art quality. If anybody really knows. It's, it, it's probably that it's going to probably ap appeal to some small audience. I, and when I think about it, it's... It approaches cult. What do you mean appeals to a small audience? A small audience. I don't. I don't. They're think successful. That. <coughs> exactly. I mean, but you know, but yeah, sure, there are. But major my big studios. Wedding. Yeah, now that's an independent. There's nothing cultish that's about an independent. it. Or what? Sideways apparently was funded by Paramount, I believe. It's weird. I I don't. The only thing I can say is that I know. I paid for every penny of my movies. All right. So, so and they weren't that much, especially the second one. Yeah. So that that to me is independent. Right. Um, how did you make your way? What What's your preparation for being in the industry? What did what, What's What's your life been been like that has prepared you for this? And is this what you wanted to do when you were two? Wow. I I don't know if I had any ambition when I was two. Um, I've been very lucky. And I kind of just, I think I always knew I wanted to do something creative. I thought I was going to be an artist. And then I thought the professional way of being an artist was to be an architect. So even when I went to college, I thought, well, I'll be an architect. When I got to college, I decided I liked photography. And so I was a photography major. And I actually ended up making a little bit of money after college as a photographer. But I don't know. I, I just... I, I never had a big master plan, mm -hmm. except that I was open to everything. And, and, and what I would have would be, I, I'd say, mini goals. Like, you know, I know a lot of people are like, I just want to get into law school. In a way, I was like that with my career. So I had managed to, you know, I ended up working at a jazz club in Paris. Mm -hmm. And that's because I wanted to be a photographer in Paris. And so then I moved to Paris. But then once I got to the jazz club, I thought, 
I want to be in the record business. It just seems like I could be good at it. So then I got that job. And basically that industry took me to the next seven years of work. And I woke up. That was in Paris? No. I came back to America. I worked in New York, London, L.A., and Atlanta in the record business. And then I got sick of the record business. I just woke up one day and I just said, enough. It's just not my thing. And I had a lot of friends in the television business, and it just seemed that, you know, TV was a good idea. And it took me a year to basically talk my way into a television job. And during that time, when I didn't think I'd get one, I started writing on the side. Because I loved mm -hmm. just telling stories. And so I had written my scripts, but then someone offered me a job as an executive. And so then I was a TV executive for nine years. And it just, you know, it certainly wasn't what I planned on doing, but it was fun and it was rewarding. And I actually was, I think, quite good at it. I, I think towards the end, I realized there's only so much you can do that's artistic and yours as an executive. And that's why I made my first film. And then... New Line kind of called me. I didn't plan on getting into the film business. I would have been very happy to be a TV executive and make my one little short movie a summer. That's mm -hmm. kind of what I want to do now because <coughs> it's so much fun. Mm -hmm. And then I got my film job. Mm -hmm. So it, it just seemed like, why not? Why not give mm -hmm. it a shot? New why Line's not? a great company. I love movies. I actually think it's a very good time to be making comedies and movies and not such a good time to be making comedies and television. So mm -hmm. I'd like to say there was big preparation. I think what makes me or what a, a good executive is that um, I've lived all over the world. And that would be my sound bite or my okay. film bite okay. would be travel. <clears throat> if, mm -hmm. if, if you can live abroad, if you can live anywhere else, do it. Absolutely. And especially when you're young, before you have a husband or a wife or children, or you're in the big career track, it's much easier to step into the void when you're in your 20s than when you're in your 30s or your 40s. And Absolutely. also what you're saying, step into the void. Now, you know, when you, as you get older and you have a family, you have to say, you have to plan where yeah. you're going to go if you're going to travel. But when you come out of college or something like that, you can just take off and just blow, you know, wherever the wind blows yeah. you, you can go and you learn so much and you meet so many people. I completely agree. One you know, thing that I great. do is, <clears throat> I don't have a lot of money to go abroad, but I have enough to periodically take a class abroad. So I'll go to the Dominican Republic or to France. I'll take a French or a Spanish course. It's a great idea. And that has gives you a place to stay because they make arrangements for that. And it gives you a group of people to hang with and you learn the language and the culture. And the culture. Well, and I also think as a filmmaker or any kind of artist, you're showing, you have to have a point of view. I think it's one of the things that's really important mm -hmm. is to have a point of view. And you want to broaden that point of view as much as you can so you can make as varied a palette as you, Absolutely. As you, you can make. Uh, so I think that's very important. So what is your film bite? My film bite is, and I just thought of it while I was watching this film, is cast well. <laughs> I'm, I don't, I don't want to uh, take anything away from you, but I mean, you had a great cast there. And some people they say, you know, casting is, is 80 to 90% of the, the job of a director. I think that she did a fantastic job and she cast well. But what does that mean? How do you know? How, do, how, do, how can you oh, tell you who's know. good and who's you not? Know. And if you don't, <clears throat> grab a casting director to help you out, right? In my old job, my, one of my bosses told me when they were trying to come up with Roseanne, mm -hmm. like Roseanne was such a harsh, hard character that you really needed the right guy to be her mate. Mm -hmm. And they saw 
or my boss at the time saw John Goodman in a play in New York, and she's like, that's my guy. You know it. Mm -hmm. And they had to wait. He wasn't ready. He couldn't be released from that obligation. Mm -hmm. I do believe that you know. And if you don't know, then, you know, maybe you should wait. Maybe you should not do it. And find mm -hmm. the right person. Yeah. I, I agree. All right. I agree. Well, um, we're about at the end of the show today, ladies and gentlemen. We have not talked about raw food at all. We haven't, even though we were talking about it right before this started. We're talking about eating well. It's <laughs> a new right. year. It's important to eat well. Yes, and eat less now that the new year has started. Come on. And As Jesse says, the less you eat, the longer you live. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's a few carbs, a little bit of fat, not too much, and you'll be cool. All right, great. So we're going to wrap it up. We want to thank Kathy here for uh, in inviting us into her home and talking with us a little bit about uh, filmmaking, and it was really uh, really informative for me. That's right. So y'all jump over to Sundance and, and uh, vote for Kathy. That's Remember. Right. All right. And our website now is going to be at filmshots.net. So check us out there, and we hope that you um, have a great week. All right. Bye, y'all. Goodbye.